Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, June 21st, in what was otherwise a rather mundane day of results on both the WTA and ATP tours. The highest compliment I can offer Wednesday's action is that the quality does continue to improve. Things slowly getting better as we progress through week two of the 2023 grass court season. On today's show, I want to break down all of Wednesday's action at our four tour level events. Of course, this week we have three 500 level tournaments, those events happening in Berlin for the women, Halle and London for the men. We also have a WTA 250 in Birmingham and countless opportunities to see the best players in the world compete to offer us data as all of us try to prepare for the start of the 2023 Wimbledon. Now, again, it was a rather mundane day of results. Yes, we did have two significant upsets. Donna Vekic knocking off Elena Rabakina in Berlin. Nicolas Iari knocking off Stefano Tsitsipas in Halle. Those upsets are significant. I want to offer my thoughts on each of those matches specifically on today's show. That said... I'm not hitting the panic button if I'm Rabakina. I know Tsitsipas now 1-2 to start his grass court season. I don't think I'm hitting the panic button if I'm Steph either. I thought each of those matches just spoke to, I suppose, how narrow the gap is right now between players at the top of the rankings and those, dare I say, 20, 30 spots below them. There's a lot of parity in professional tennis right now, and I think that continues to be the storyline of the season. Certainly, it felt partially like the storyline here on Wednesday in describing those upsets, but we had a lot of straightforward results as well. A lot of top seeds looking the part. Certainly, I thought Alex Zverev played spectacular tennis on his way to a victory over Denis Shapovalov. I thought Petra Kvitova continues to look really comfortable once again on these grass courts, and we've already seen what her peak level can produce here in 2023. Even in Birmingham, the start of Barbara Krejcikova's grass court season, and to see, you know, continued success successes from players like, dare I say, the Amina Bectuses of the world, the Harriet Darts of the world. Obviously, 30,000-foot view. Some of those players I don't think are going to be factoring into the title contention conversation at Wimbledon. But again, we're looking for any data we can find as all of us prepare for the year's third Grand Slam. And I think we continue to be provided fun data throughout the course of week number two on today's show. I want to break down all the new results we were offered on Wednesday, of course. Before I do that, I want to point you to a couple of podcasts we've done of late here on our Crack Rackets podcast on the Cracked Interview Show. 
show, I've got the chance to speak with some really cool people, whether it's Fangran Tien, your 2023 NCA Women's Singles Champion. She also just won an ITF Pro Circuit title, the second of her career. She is a player I promise is going to rapidly ascend up the pro rankings whenever she starts her full-time pro tennis career. I also got to speak with a full-time veteran, the current world number one in the ATP doubles rankings, 2023 French Open champion Austin Krejcik. If you want to nerd out, as we like to do here at Cracked Rackets, you can listen to my conversations with Cranbrook Tennis Classic, the new Bloomfield Hills Challenger Tournament Director, David DeMuth. You can hear my conversation with our dear friend over at Turner, Kevin Nitzik, about all the changes that have happened in the tennis equipment industry over the past couple of decades. A lot of fun conversations, all available on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Be sure to go check them out, like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. Of course, Great Shot podcast feed coming tomorrow, the start of award show season. Halfway mark, who have been the best players? What are the biggest storylines on both the ATP and WTA tours? Myself, David Kane, going to be discussing that. So to make sure you don't miss it, go subscribe to that Great Shot podcast feed. We have coverage of the USTA SoCal Pro Circuit every weekend, Saturday, Sunday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. So be sure to subscribe, excuse me, to that so you don't miss out on any of the action. We got a lot of fun content planned for the summer. We hope all you Crack Rackets fans will stick with us through it all again. We're very excited uh, to bring it all to you. So like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. A shout out as always to super producer Daniel Westhoff who makes it all happen. A shout out of course as well here on the mini break podcast feed to our dear friends at Tennis Point for the latest and greatest equipment at the best prices. All you got to do is go to tennis-point.com today. Rackets, strings, shoes, clothing, you name it. Regardless of the racket sport, tennis or otherwise, they've got you covered. You can find it all on their website, tennis-point.com. Make sure you use our promo code CR15 when you make a purchase to let them know we sent you there. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right. The premise of my... Intra, or opening monologue, excuse me, was that the quality continues to get better on the grass courts here in week two of the 2023 grass court season. Let me make the case for that as I run you through Wednesday's results on both the ATP and WTA tours. Now, I want to start with an upset that I actually do think speaks to the quality of the grass court tennis we saw throughout the course of the day. The margins were extraordinarily thin in Donovekic's 6-7-6-3-6-4 victory over Elena Rabakina. There was only, you know, there wasn't, excuse me, a single break of serve in the opening set. It was extraordinary tennis. And, you know, for Rabakina, yes, she loses the match, but she won 83%, 84%, excuse me, of her first serve points. She made 64% of her first serve. She fought off five of the seven break points that she faced. Normally, that's good enough to get the job done. But if you learned anything from this match, the roadmap to beating Elena Rabakina on grass courts, and let's be clear, this is an Indiana Jones national treasure level of difficulty roadmap for anyone to take. But, you know, again, you just got to go in swinging. You got to go shot for shot, winner for winner, Aggressive opportunity for aggressive opportunity, first strike for first strike. You just have to take your chances. And to her credit today, Donna Vekic took some chances. I mean, the backhand down the line was just firing on all cylinders for Vekic today. And look, Vekic 
only made 59% of her first serves didn't matter. She goes 69 of 95 on service points for the match. Now, you know, big picture, that means she won 73% of her service points for the match. She faced two break points. She fought them both off. She was flawless on serve. And part of that is, again, it exposes the fact that Rabakina is a risk taker with the return of serve. She's going to play the big return down the line. She's going to take her cuts and trust that she's going to be able to keep pace with her own serve and that eventually the return of serve will land and she'll get an opportunity to expand a lead. And now she's a front runner. Now you're chasing and now life just becomes that much more difficult. Donna Vekic did not allow Elena Rabakina to do that. And first and foremost, you know, again, it started with Vekic protecting her own serve with Vekic attacking the down the line so aggressively, moving forward, playing the swinging volley whenever Rabakina threw anything with elevation over the net to buy herself time. You know, again, Vekic wasn't broken in this match. You usually win tennis matches, you go unbroken on serve. Donna Vekic also uh, goes 22 of 35 on second serve return points. And, you know, again, in the two break uh, games where Donna Vekic earned breaks of serve, she won two points on the second serve return specifically in those games by taking her backhand aggressively down the line or aggressively inside in on those returns of serve. I think this match had more to do in confirming the fact that I know Donna Vekic didn't have the best clay court season, but you look at what Vekic has now accomplished here over the course of the last 52 weeks. She's 34 and 19 overall, San Diego final, you know, Australian Open quarterfinals, Monterey title. Now Berlin, she's into the quarterfinals here. I mean, who are the clay court losses to? Pliskova, Masarova's tough. Sviantek in Rome, Para in three sets at Roland Garros. It wasn't the greatest season. It was enough to sustain a top 30 ranking. And now Donna Vekic into a quarterfinal here at this 500-level event in Berlin with this result. Vekic back up to number 21 in the live rankings, two off her career high. It's just real. The success is real. The serve is real. The weapon she has, the confidence she has in going down swinging. It's easy when you're playing as an underdog and you have a little bit less to lose, I suppose, uh, from a mentality standpoint, taking on the reigning Wimbledon champion in Elena Rabakina. But I don't think Rabakina played poorly. I think Vekic had the weapons to match, and she executed a little bit better today than Rabakina did. And what this perhaps confirms is that, and I think everyone knew this, not everyone, but I think this was a thought I was conveying heading into this grass court season, is yes, Sabalenka, Sviantek, Rabakina, those are your top three. But especially on this surface, just given the lack of sample size, lack of matches for all of these players, Sabalenka didn't play Wimbledon last year, even if she looked really good against Savonareva in round one here in Berlin. It's a wide open Wimbledon. This slam is the most open of all the slams because Ashley Barty's gone, and she was that good in 2021 on the grass courts. And I know Rabakina was that solid at Wimbledon last year and has elevated herself since then to confirm that that level we saw was real, but... There are still three set matches for Elena Rabakina. It still is a little one speed dependent. Despite all of her success this season, she is not one of the players who ranks top 25 in both hold and break percentage. And it's because while she's top three in hold percentage, she's a streaky returner. That's still part of the script for Elena Rabakina. An aggressive returner, but streaky. And I think we saw that at times today. Still, 
this told me more about Donna Vekic's level after a round one loss last week to kick off her grass court season. Now a couple of good wins over Gracheva, over Elena Rabakina. She is into the quarterfinals here in Berlin. Who joined her on the day in the winner's circle? I thought Amina Bechtis won yesterday, so I don't think that result belongs on this list, and that's a Nottingham result, so it's not even on this list. Leave it in. You look at Berlin's results throughout the course of the day. Who stood out the most? I mean, Nadia Podoroska is a little fish out of watery on grass courts because she is her game is so predicated on physicality and movement, but God, could the weight of Kvitova's shot just smoked her, and Kvitova was teeing off on the return of serve. One-in-one victory for Kvitova. She's won Wimbledon. We know how good she can be on this surface, given the lack of certainty surrounding everyone else. If she starts playing well, if she's healthy heading into Wimbledon, certainly has the pedigree to belong on a short list of contenders. Caroline Garcia, I mentioned this earlier in the week, the free ride on points ends for her after she, you know, she has to defend a title next week in Bad Hamburg, and then Wimbledon starts, and all of a sudden it's Cincinnati points, it's U.S. Open points, it's year-end finals points. This is the last week of a free ride for Caroline Garcia. She's making the most of it into the quarters. Three and two victory for her. First round matches that were completed, delayed due to rain. Veronica Kudermatova, good follow-up after she made the final last week. Four and two win over Jung Chin-Wen. And then Alize Cornet, excuse me, Sakari four and two over Alize Cornet. Cornet beat her last week. Sakari's forehand was a mess in that first match. It was just much more disciplined, much more in control. She looked more prepared. She looked more comfortable. Maria Sakari, 4-2 victory. Disappointing loss for Chin Wen, but I'm telling you, Kudermatova is on the short list of contenders right now until I see otherwise. I test-wise, I don't have the stats, although she still is top five in quarterfinals this year, even if it's not as sig- not significant. That's not the right word. It's not as repetitive quarterfinals appearances, or it's not as persistent. It's not as can- consistent. It's just not a lot of things like it was last year. Now, Kudermatova is still having a solid year, belongs in the top 12 conversation. You look right now in the points race, Kudermatova 10th. You know, that's on the back of something, even if the slam results haven't been there. Good win for her over Chin Wen 4-2, who just sprayed a little bit too much, particularly on the return of serve. Last but not least in Berlin, <sighs> I'm going to talk about this with David Kane when we do our halfway mark show. I don't know what to do with Bianca Andreescu because on the one hand, I thought she played really good tennis against Marketa Vondrusova. On the other hand, she didn't win the match. Like Vondrusova, who just, I mean, she's just so good. She's just the perfect contrast, the drop shot. She just has an answer, something to throw you off kilter regardless of what you're doing as an opponent. And that just makes for such fun tennis to watch. And this was a really physical match between her and Andrescu. And Andrescu had her opportunities. Andrescu was up a break in the second set, had a look to go up double break 5-2. She wins one more game the rest of the set. Like, I don't know. She plays well, and yet she's on the losing end of too many of these this year. And it's a good win for Von Drusva, who, by the way, back into the top 50, where the 23-year-old unequivocally belongs... Look, Bianca Andreescu has been healthy this season. That can't be the excuse for the record this year. And you look for Andreescu right now, 12-12 and 12 overall on the season. She made the semifinals in Joaquin, hasn't made a quarterfinal since. Round of 16 in Miami should count for something. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, I know there have been some injuries. She only played two matches during the clay court season, but still 35 in the world. 
I don't know. Like it's it's just tough. It just feels like there's just not the rhythm there right now, and I don't exactly understand why. I understood why in this match because Vondrusova took it away from her, but Andreescu's playing too well to be 500 so far in 2023, at least according to the eye test, and that's really what we have most. Even statistically, like. I guess the hold percentage, 67.5, that's not great. Break, per- I mean, look, the numbers aren't kind. The record's not kind. The eye test is kind. There are still those pockets of three to five-minute stretches where you're like, yep, here's BB. She's going to start rolling. And then, you know, again, today she couldn't because Von Drusova played really well. Still, I need to see Andres get on the winning end of one of these matches, and she just hasn't been so far this year. Right now, you look, again, round of 16 matches tomorrow. Very, very fun. Sabalenka, Kudermatova's must-watch because those are two of your top 10 contenders right now for Wimbledon. Goff, Alexandrova, must-watch. Two of your top 10 contenders for Wimbledon right now. Sakari Sasnovich, let's get physical. Niemeyer von Drusova, contrast of styles. How creative that match is going to be. It's a fun week in Berlin, and right now, Kvitova, by virtue of being around ahead, 23.4% favorite. Sabalenka, 179 You assume if she beats Kudermatova, she'll become the favorite. Vekic, 13.9 to win the title. She's the favorite to advance over Asakari, probably because she's around ahead right now, according to the Tennis Abstract singles forecast. But of course, we will continue to keep our eyes on Berlin throughout the course of the rest of the week. Let's stay in Germany but move over to the men's side of things where we had our other upset on the day. Look, why am I not hitting the panic button if I'm Stefano Tsitsipas following his 7-6-7-5 loss to Nicolas Yari? Yes, he's 1-2 on the grass courts this year, but Yari is just a particularly poor matchup for Stefano Tsitsipas, particularly on this surface where, look, Yari's what? 6-6-6-7 six, 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 and has an absolute cannon of a first serve. And that cannon just picked the Tsitsipas backhand return apart. And credit to Yari, who does have a big forehand backswing, but man, he protected his first serve so well. Made 79% of them, won 85% of his first serve points, fought off all five break points that he faced. Now, look, credit to Tsitsipas, again, in both of his losses so far on the grass courts this year, he won 75 or more percent of his first serve points. He fought off at least six break points throughout the course of the match. He hit near, if not double-digit aces in all of the matches. Against Yari, he won 78% of his first serve points. He fought off six of the seven break points that he faced. He fought off multiple set points in the first set to force a breaker and had a set point chance where Yari just hit a good first serve to the backhand and then put away a first strike. But that's the issue. If you have the weapon, the pathway through Tsitsipas on this surface is abundantly clear. It was clear last year. And you look at what Stefano Tsitsipas was able to do last season in winning a title on the grass courts in Mallorca for the first time and playing a really fun third-round match and I thought displaying a really good level in his first two wins at Wimbledon. Certainly, by the way, I was doing the content preview earlier. Gil Gross and I back on the mic starting tomorrow. We'll break down the second half of Breakpoint, every episode available on the Breakpoint podcast feed and on Gil Gross's YouTube channel. So be on the lookout for that. But again, Yari just has the exact weaponry, the exact combination. And 
that's you know again that script hasn't changed for Stefano Tsitsipas and for some people it's 30,000 foot view disqualifying him from potentially winning a title at Wimbledon because there are just enough players on the list who have the weaponry and have the ability to execute that exact game plan against Tsitsipas and if that's your mindset I can't knock you but I'll tell you what it's a lot harder to do with three out of five than it is two out of three. It's a lot harder to keep up with his serve as well, his physicality, which you know don't go away out of that format and have looked pretty good thus far. Tsitsipas is not winning Wimbledon. He can make a fourth round. He can win a couple of matches. I'm not completely selling the, oh, you're Tsitsipas, immediate upset alert, no matter where, who he plays in the first round because his serve, his ability to execute that volley – is exceptional. Uh, that first volley is exceptional. And against the right opponents, he'll continue to have plenty of success. It just, it definitely has to be the right, uh, there's, there's the, I don't know if it has to be the right opponent, but there are certainly the wrong opponents for Stefano Tsitsipas and Nicolas Yari is one of them. And by the way, credit to the 27-year-old. I know, Alex, he's five days younger than you. His birthday's your bar mitzvah. Obviously, you're a little biased. I am. I know he was suspended earlier in his career for PEDs. I'm a man who believes in giving people second chances, particularly for something like that. Yari has made the most of his second chance. 27-10 and 10 this year. He's played exclusively, other than the first match of the season, which he played a challenger. So he's 27-9 and nine in ATP events this season. Let's go through what he's done. Qualifies, makes second round of the Australian Open. Qualifies, makes semifinals of Rio. Wins the final in Santiago. Round of 16, Monte Carlo. Wins the title in Geneva. Fourth round roll on Garros. Now quarterfinals here on grass courts in Hala. I know the majority of his success has come on clay, but you want to build yourself to a new career high rankings and all the way up to 28 in the world. Start your season 27 and 9 in ATP events, make two different ATP finals and win two different ATP titles throughout the course of your year. Oh, and make a fourth round at a slam. That's the resume of a top 35 player. And he's 20 in the world, which is where he belongs and you know again, looking at the rest of the season, he made quarterfinals in Stad, he qualified for the US Open, round of 16 Seoul qualified for the main draw in Naples. That's what he has to defend points-wise the rest of the year. Nicolas Yari could make a top 20 push, and I'll tell you what, with his serve, he has the weapon to do so. Yari right now ranks seventh in hold percentage uh, uh, in 2023, according to the Tennis Abstract Stats Leaderboard, holding 87.1% of the time. That's what you see with your eyes. It's elite. That serve, that first forehand combination... I mean, he moves well for a guy that size also. Again, it's a bad matchup for Stefano Tsitsipas. It speaks to the level Yari has played throughout the course of the year. And so, again, the quality keeps getting better, of course, looking elsewhere in Hala. I don't know. You know, again, Zverev's never made it past the round of 16 at Wimbledon. I think the you know, one thing that he's been forced to do post ankle injury and particularly in the immediate aftermath of it was play more aggressively, end points a little bit earlier, step into the court, be more comfortable moving forward as he gets healthier, as the physicality returns. And there's only so, you can only be so physical on this surface, but that aggression, that mindset, that willingness and ability moving forward. It has persisted. And you look for Zverev, who went up early breaks and sets one and two against Shapovalov today. He never turned back. Zverev into the quarterfinals. Again, every match he wins, three points on his ranking the rest of the season. He's back up to number 22 in the live rankings. 
yeah, I mean, one more victory, he'll hop over Struve, he'll be back. Well, Struve can win matches too, so it's not that simple. But, you know, for Zverev, top 20 is very much back in sight for him. If he has a good week, he can leap over a Sarandolo, leap over a Cranio Busta, can absolutely make a top 10 push just again, given he has no points to defend the rest of the year. And given his French Open semifinal run, now he doesn't have to worry about playing, qualifying, or getting into anything, dipping out of the top 50, no. He's set for the rest of this season, and he's starting to play like the top 10 player. He has typically played like win healthy throughout the course of his career. Elsewhere, results in Hala on the day. Look, Medvedev's just not playing that well. 6-3, 6-7, 6-3 over Laszlo Yura. Now, Laszlo has the exact backhand line you want to keep Medvedev honest when he tries to lull you to sleep in those backhand cross-court exchanges. Now, ultimately, Medvedev could just do more things. He served well. His forehand was more sustainable. Yura just sprayed a little bit too much trying to keep Medvedev honest, playing down the line. And credit to Yura, he played aggressive tennis on a surface that will never suit his game best. Medvedev threw in three. Now he gets to test himself a bit more as he'll take on Roberto Bautista Gu, who was played his best match of the year. And I did an RBA spiel earlier in the week on how, you know, RBA right now under 500 on the year. Now I believe with this win, yeah, 14 and 15 overall. This is his first quarterfinal of the year since he reached the quarters in Adelaide back at the start of January. 35 years old. It's not completely shocking, dare I say, to see a bit of a dip for RBA perhaps, to start this season. That said, he needed his best level. He needed every ounce of physicality against Brandon Nakashima today, a 5-6 and six win. RBA looked good. Never count him out, or at least he can't quite yet. He'll take on, uh, again, Medvedev, and then it'll be Zverev versus Yari. By the way, Zverev-Yari 2-2 in the career head-to-head. It's big servers. Yari's got the gumption. He'll put Zverev under pressure now, that heavy inside-out forehand Yari loves to hit on a different surface. Zverev's backhand would be well suited to face it on grass courts. The heaviness of that ball is just going to be a nightmare. By the way, RBA 4-2 and two against Medvedev. That's long been a thorn in Medvedev's side. The, you know, the flat, dead neutrality of the RBA game style. Medvedev forced to generate his own pace. He gets a little impatient in this matchup. Two really fun matches in Hala as quarterfinals. Of course, tomorrow, your round of 16s. Rublev Hanfman, Griekspor Hercats, Struf Bublik, Senego Sinner. Right now, Medvedev 31.4% favorite, but everyone's around behind. So again, you take the tennis abstract singles forecast with a grain of salt right now. That's where things are in Hala. In London, no significant upsets on the day. I mean, Sebi Corda beat Francis Tiafo 7-6-6-3, but all this said to me is that Sebi Corda is healthy again. And look, we've seen Corda make a second week at Wimbledon already in his career. The one thing we haven't seen from Corda since January is health. He's been he's played four matches since making the quarterfinals in Australia. He's one in three in those four matches, but that speaks to the fact that he just hasn't had any rhythm. And this week, more than anything, redirecting pace, taking open, aggressive, down-the-line opportunities, the weight of his serve, his ability to hold his ground, his comfort level moving forward, his ability to hold his ground on the return of serve and not cede any ground, and then you know from neutral again to redirect things and take whatever space is available. Court is going to be really good on grass courts for a really long time, and Long-time mini-break listeners know, I thought Corda was going to end this season as the top-ranked American man, and when he had the January he did, no one was taking more victory laps than me. 
Injuries have always been a part, even when he was a top-ranked junior, of the Sebi Corda story. But when he's healthy, there's no denying the sort of tennis the 22-year-old is capable of playing. And he played that and had to against a Tiafa who, look, title last week. You lost against an informed Corda this week. Francis Tiafo is feeling great heading into the 2023 Wimbledon. Sevi Corda, this was a big victory for his confidence. Now he'll take on Cam Norrie, who needed every ounce of physicality in a three-set win over Jordan Thompson, who's also feeling great right now heading into Wimbledon, uh, the Wimbledon stretch. And look, there's just a little more sting on the Cam Norrie forehand right now, who redirects the ball so well, plays with his pattern so well, comfortable moving forward. You know, he was great. Holger Runa today, it was three and four. The match was never in doubt between he and Ryan Penniston, and I am very bullish on Holger Runa, grass court player moving forward because he just has every skill. He's so graceful with his footwork, so good at keeping the ball in front of him. Again, putting every shot together, sustaining his level, and sustaining a consistent game plan from point one to the final point of a match, those are the things any teenager struggles with that, and Holger is not immune to those struggles, but he has the skill set, and he just has the fluidity. It reminded me of watching a young Murray on these grass courts uh, with that sort of fluidity, three and four for him, especially against a lefty like it was against Penniston, how well Runa was hitting the backhand. He looked exceptional. Corda was great. Nori was rock solid. Musetti Shelton was the best match of the day, maybe on the men's side. And Lorenzo Musetti, 6 4 4 6 6 4 over Ben Shelton. Ben's going to be really good on this surface. Just again, how well he redirects pace. He seems to have cleaned up his forehand backswing a bit and just has a little bit more time because that backswing is a little bit more condensed comfortable moving forward. His serve is so explosive, but I've said it now for a month. I'm sorry. I'm repeating myself a lot. I apologize. And I keep saying I've said this in the past. I'll stop doing that. Musetti's playing the best tennis of his career. He's just so in command of everything he wants to do, of manipulating every point to set up, to keep the ball in front of him and set up the passing shot that he wants to hit. And You know, again, he did a great job of hitting the ball behind Ben, of keeping the ball low on Ben's forehand with his backhand slice. And, you know, again, just doing enough with the return of serve and not being dismayed when Ben hits the jumping overhead or displays the ridiculous half-volley touch. Musetti played such a mature match. I think he's the, you know, he's 21 years old, he's 15 in the world, and he's just so significantly overshadowed by the success that Alcaraz, Runa, and Sinner have already had. Musetti had just turned 21, and he's 15 in the world. That's nuts. It just doesn't happen frequently, and now he's having success across surfaces. We knew the clay courts were always going to be nice for Musetti when he was up two sets to love as a teenager on Djokovic in a French Open quarterfinal. I know he lost that match, but you do that, you have the tennis world's attention. It took him a second, six, seven months to find his bearings, but he's found them. And he's just too athletic, the f- too creative. The feel is too exceptional. The power is there. The technique is there. The will is now there as well. And I'm still keeping all my Ben Shelton stock, but Lorenzo Musetti's 15 in the world, and it just feels like we don't respect him as the 15th best player in the world. And 
Look at the resume over the last 52 weeks for Lorenzo Musetti. Right now, you know, 43 and 29 overall, but you look at more specifically, you know, again, what he's done across surfaces. He wins Hamburg last year, beating Alcaraz on a clay court in a final. He, you know, makes and wins a title in Naples, beating Kesmenovic, beating Berrettini on a hard court. Quarterfinals, indoor hard court of the Paris Masters. He reaches a quarterfinal in Monte Carlo this year, semifinal in Barcelona, round of 16 at Roland Garros. Now quarterfinals back-to-back in Stuttgart and London on grass courts. He's done it across surfaces. Lorenzo Musetti right now, where is he in the points race? 22. Interesting. I guess it's, I mean, he made a fourth round of a slam. How do you do in Australia? First round loss to Lloyd Harris. That's tough. First round losses, Indian Wells, Miami, also tough for the resume. And he did have a streak this year. I mean, look, he started the year slow. It was what, I think a five and seven or five and eight start to his year, but has picked things up since. And He's playing the best tennis of his career, so shout out to Lorenzo Musetti. That was a really fun match. So so explosive, so athletic between he and Shelton. That's the one. If you're going to watch highlights from anything, that's what I would watch. And you know, again, right now in London, uh, excuse me, yeah, in London, your quarterfinals: Runa Musetti in Cordonori in, of course, your matches tomorrow: Alcaraz Lachetka in. Demon Schwartzman, strangely in. Dimitrov Sarundalo, you like big forehands in. Manorino Fritz, that's a litmus test. If Fritz wins that match, you're in the shortlist 10 to 15 contenders to win the Wimbledon title. I mean, everyone not named Novak conversation. Right now, again, 22.2% favorite Cam Norrie to win the event in London, but people are still around behind. So you take that all with a grain of salt. That's what's going on at your three 500 level events in Berlin, Halle, and London. Of course, don't want to forget what's happening in Birmingham. You did see top seed Barbara Krejcikova kick off her tournament with a 3-3 three and three win over qualifier Christina Buxa. I won't lie. This is the tournament I monitored least throughout the day. I did see my fellow Wolverine, Amina Bechtis, 30 years old, zero career tour-level victories coming into the month. She made quarters last week in Nottingham. Now a first-round victory over seventh-seeded Jung Shui, four and three, 130 in the world. New career high in the live ranking. Shout out Amina Bechtis. Other matches on the day. Harriet Dart, 13-5 and five on the grass court since the start of last year. 6-1 in the third over Kalanina. I told you she could beat a seed at Wimbledon. If this match was at Wimbledon, Kalanina would have been seeded and Dart would have just beaten her. I ain't lying to you folks. Julin getting things going again. Three in love victory over third-seeded Magda Lynette. Linda Fruvertova. Oh, I love her backhand. One in six over Bernarda Parrish. She upsets the sixth seed. Martin Sova gets a straight set win. And then last but certainly not least, Canadian Rebecca Marino. Her weapons on this surface just work. 6-3. Uh, she gets a victory over Wang Shiyu uh, to, to advance to the round of 16. Now, you still have a bunch of round of 16 matches tomorrow. Krejcikova, Martin Sova, Marino, Bektis. That's another really good opportunity at a quarterfinal for Amina Bektis. I'm curious. If Amina Bektis wins that match and... She's 137, excuse me, right now in the live rankings. She wins that match. She'll jump up to 134. If she wins the event, she'll jump all the way up to number 84. Just saying, throwing it out into the universe because why not? But that's a real opportunity. Oh, there's your match of the day. I mean, there's two. Venus versus Ostapenko. 
you have to watch it because it's Venus, because it's this point of her career, and because Ostapenko's freaking Ostapenko. Could be fireworks in that match. But McNally Potapova, I sent out this tweet today. I believe there are currently 26 women aged 21 or younger in the top 150 of the WTA rankings. And, you know, again, there are the big, and by the way, Sviantek Potapova just turned 22 years old. So it's not like they're far off, but you just look at the list right now. And excuse me, 25, not 26. Goff, Chinwen, Kostyuk, Naskova, Fruvertova, Stearns, McNally, Avenisian, Rakimova, Wang Xinyu, Osorio, Tossin, Perry, Fernandez, Schneider. Haven't even gotten to Andriva, Valinets, Radakanu, the other Fruvertova, Gadecki, Kruger, Kudermatova's little sister, the other Andriva, Riva, Uchijima. It is a deep class of young talent on the WTA Tour right now. And, you know, again, they're Potapova McNally, 22, 21 years old. It's a great chance for each of them to get a shot at a quarterfinal here on grass courts. For Katie McNally, a win for her tomorrow. She would be up all the way to number 58 in the live rankings. And now, again, you're getting into all the 1,000-level events on the hard courts this summer for sure on your ranking. You know, you look for Potapova right now. She's sitting at 23 in the live rankings. One more victory. She'll be back up to tying her career high of 21. But perhaps more pressingly, Potapova with a win, 18th in the points race. The gap between her and 8th place Barbara Krejcikova right now, 550 points. She's still in the running for the WTA Tour Finals. I mean, we're at the halfway mark. A lot of people are still in the running, or more than typical, at the, than you would typically think when it's go time. You know, again, only three spots are set. Sabalenka, Sviantek, Rabakina, they're all getting into the World Tour Finals. Pagula's at 2445. You know, again, right now, a thousand point gap between her and 15th place Garcia with two slams and a bunch of 1,000 level events left to go. It's a wide open race. It's going to be a really fun end to this season to monitor. And that's the sort of thing I'm going to be talking about with David Kane later this week. What are our, what would our WTA Tour final fields look like right now if we got to pick our top eight? Of course, we'll talk players of the year, most improved, comeback, biggest surprise, most disappointing, all those sorts of things. Men's and women's storyline in our Halfway Mark Awards show. Those are coming later this week on the GSP. Again, we got a lot of great content for you right now here at Crack Rack. It's not just these mini breaks, but great shots podcast, Cracked Interviews podcast, all of our content available on the website, CrackedRackets.com. Like, rate, subscribe, review, share with your friends. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out as well, seriously, to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. It takes a lot to do a daily podcast. We wouldn't have the resources we do without the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. So if you need anything in your own tennis life, be sure to turn to them, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 to let them know we sent you there. With all that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.